Hi guys, welcome back. I'm Jacqueline. And it's Alana. And welcome back to another episode of Black and Yellow. Yay! Welcome back <laughs> to the show, our Black and Yellow brothers and sisters. We're so happy to have you for another episode. Uh, if you're new to the show, kick back, subscribe, and welcome to this Black and Yellow Nation we're building. If you are a new, if you're a regular listener, excuse me, thank you for coming back and allowing us to tickle those eardrums of yours once again. We are so pumped for today's episode. We had we a sure total are. badass and an incredibly inspirational woman on this show. But before we can get to that, we've got our Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is segment sure and special treat. Our guest is going to be joining us. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a teaser as to who she is, and then she's going to hop on. So she is a writer, a speaker, and an entrepreneur, and she's so much more. We've got a big juicy intro for her a little bit later on. But first, Marissa Renee Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you welcome. so much for having me. This is yeah. great. Are you ready to put your money where your mouth is? I sure am. I am always trying to put my money where my mouth is, either purchasing things that are local or when I'm really lucky, purchasing things that are from minority businesses and also happen to be local. And I have a lot of talented friends, including Sai Yang, who actually, yes, she actually owns two companies. So I will pick just one for today. She founded Coco's Nest, which is a blanket company. And Mm. she founded it when she had her first child, oh my gosh, over five years ago. I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, She realized (laughs) as someone who cares about really nice products, Mm. that it would be Mm. lovely to have like a very well-made, super soft baby blanket that could also actually survive life with a baby. Right. Her blankets, yes, you can find them on cocosnest.com. They are 100% super soft Egyptian cotton, and the yarn is actually twisted in a particular region of Italy. So super thoughtful, super soft, but they are also perfect for washer and dryer and, you know, babies getting them dirty. Baby proof. (laughs) It's even better. She just launched a line of adult blankets as well. Now we can get some for ourselves. That's awesome. I'm really interested in that. Marissa, we we knew that you were a woman after our own hearts when you mentioned (laughs) side to us beforehand off mic. We know that you're a member of the Black and Yellow Nation. We love it. (laughs) Sai, shout out to you. Um, And I will link to Coco's Nest to the blankets for adults and babies in our show notes. Jack, what you got? So another fellow Asian American lady business going on. (laughs) This is, I'm located in Los Angeles. So um, close to me in neighborhoods, um, Monrovia, for those of you in this area. Um, It's called the Loose Teas Cafe and Gifts, founded by two Asian American women, Cindy Tai and Kim Nguyen. So they've been in Monrovia for six years, um, owned and operated just by them. Um, they have a passion for teas, especially loose teas. They love educating people and, and why loose teas is better than um, tea bags. I learned a whole mm-hmm. bunch just through that. I, I didn't know. Um, but yeah, they left their careers. Um, Nguyen was studying psychology and Ty was, um, she left teaching. So they put their passion in what they loved. 
Um, they got a big loan and they started their business and they've been here in Arcadia. I drive by their store all the time um, for about six years um, and and I'm sure it, it, it's still going well. So awesome. yeah, I recommend, I recommend going to them if you guys are from around here, right off of Huntington. Um, they are on uh, 666 West Huntington Drive, Monroe, right off the 210 exit. So check it out. Check them out, guys. I will go ahead and link to them in the show notes. And I love that you did tea because I did coffee. Oh my gosh. So we're getting your morning, your full morning routine from like sleeping in bed with a nice cozy blanket to waking up and getting your day started. I love it. Uh, I am going to go with Dope Coffee. They are at Real Dope Coffee uh, on Instagram. They are not only black owned, they are female owned and veteran owned. And they are the ATL's go-to e-commerce coffee brand. So they're only online. There's no brick and mortars and any of Atlanta. Um, I've got their dope sunrise blend in my cup right now. And while I'm nowhere near a coffee snob, I like the omen of a dope sunrise drip of coffee. It's sort of like, what kind of day do you want to have a dope and sunny one? What kind of day do you want to have? <laughs> um, but also they really put every part of the bean to work. They've got a face and body scrub. They've got a exfoliating clay mask for your self-care quarantine days. They've got coffee candles. If you love the smell of coffee, they've got a beard and um, mustache oil for any of the gents listening. And then, of course, they have mugs that proudly proclaim that there is dope coffee in the mug. So I will link to them as well in today's show notes. But guys, by black, by Asian, by female, by local, it's called economic protest. And we are here for it for all sure. day, every day, even when the physical marches are over. Okay, so with that, we're going to get into today's conversation. So a few weeks ago, I was watching MSNBC, and I caught Marissa talking to Alicia Menendez about today's topic. And in this never-ending world of news, her segment really cut through and gave me pause. She was talking about grief. And I think this is something that we do not discuss nearly enough when life yep. is functioning regularly and quote unquote properly. Um, but it's a really crucial conversation to have right now, given the heightened state of our world. So the pandemic, police brutality against black Americans, violent xenophobic displays of rage against Asians and Asian Americans, economic instability, job insecurity, all of those can lead to grief. And all of that is before the normal life stresses that can lead to grief in general. So uh, we had to have Marissa on. So I'm going to give you a little bit about her before, I guess, re-inviting re her. Uh, her name is Marissa Renee Lee. She is the founder of Beacons Advisors, which is a social impact consulting firm. She's also the founder of The Pink Agenda, which is a breast cancer nonprofit organization that raises funds for breast cancer research. Touches my heart. I lost a friend to breast cancer a couple of years ago. Uh, she's also the co-founder of Supportal, which is a health and wellness platform. We all know our resident naturalista Jackie loves that. She's the former managing director of My Brother's Keeper, which was an alliance formed during the Obama administration read she's met president obama how dope is that uh she is a writer who has been featured in glamour magazine cnn refinery 29 and the grio uh she's got an article up on there right now called white supremacy takes so much already don't let it take your grief too i will link to it in the show notes it is a fantastic it, read it really is Oh, as well as a whole host of other outlets that she's written for. She is a public speaker and a dedicated wife. 
we're just total fangirls <laughs> and we're really stoked to have her here. I know, we really are. Thank you so much again. Oh my God, of course. And just uh, in the spirit of making fun of myself, I'm literally sitting in the most crooked and uncomfortable position possible because my dog is taking up entirely too much space in my office right under my feet. Oh, and because I'm getting old, I'm also sitting on an ice pack. Uh, due to a butt injury. So okay. That's, okay. That's what's going on over here. Just keeping it what, real for you What guys. a morning. What a morning. <laughs> and that's not old. Young people get yeah. butt stuff too. It's fine. Also true. Also but true. I love that hot pink wall behind you. Just to like <laughs> shout out to everyone. She's got a really great wall backdrop. Yeah. Thank great. you. That is courtesy of the spouse. He's, he's okay. We'll keep him around for now. <laughs> he's for a keeper. Now. <laughs> yeah. 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 So before we dive into talking about grief, um, why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself, how you arrived at the work that you do? Um, Just a little, you know, a little opening. Yeah, that sounds great. So I feel like it seems like I've done a lot of disconnected things when it comes to my professional career, Mm. but so much of it is just rooted in you know, both my experiences as a black person and also my experiences growing up with a sick parent and then, you know, being a caretaker and then losing my mom. So, you know, growing up with a parent who had MS, my parents worked really hard, but it was always a little bit of a financial struggle. You know, there was always a lot of stress and just a lot that had to be managed when one of the two adults in the house suddenly was really sick, could no longer work and needed some support and care, you know, from everyone else in the family, which then leads to, you know, me wanting to start a career in finance, both so that I (laughs) make sure, you know, that that I am taken care of and, you know, able to take care of myself. It also helped that, you know, my parents were in the Hudson Valley in New York. I could work mm. in the city and sort of be back and forth and continue to play. Yeah, and continue to play that caretaker role because, you know, my mom battled MS for 11 years wow. before she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. So it was all just like super, super complicated. Yeah. Um, I then realized, you know, during my time in finance, as you know, my mom was getting unfortunately worse and worse that I wanted to return to my roots in service. And I wanted to leverage what I learned, you know, working in a bank, surrounding myself with really, really smart and really, really wealthy people to apply that to the economic recovery that we were starting to need in the country. You know, the time, like everything just sort of came together at once. You know, I lost my mom. Barack Obama gets elected. We're dealing with a horrible recession. Yeah, and I realized yeah. there was an opportunity for me to, you know, serve this president and do things that would hopefully help the country that connected back to the experiences I had in finance. <laughs> and so, you know, was in the administration for four years. It was amazing, obviously very hard work, but totally, you know, life-changing experience. And I have to say, you know, I don't, I don't know that I would have ended up, you know, in DC in these jobs, if not for the fact that, you know, I lost my mom. Right. And when I lost my mom, I had just turned 25. She had just turned 49. Mm. So there was also this sense of, 
you know, what are you doing with your life? What do you really want to do? What sort of contributions do you want to have? And the fact that she got sick when she was 37, you know, all of a sudden you're like, wow, we don't, we don't know how much time we have and we don't. And so, you know, for me, it's all very connected and very natural and all these transitions have been very natural, (laughs) but I realize on paper, you know, on a resume, it looks like what is their life? Uh, yeah, but that's why resumes are flawed. Well. Yeah, yeah, also <laughs> true, also true. Uh, but yeah, it's it's worked out pretty well so far. That's amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. no doubt you have been through it all, and yeah. and we can we can see it, we can read it. I mean, it's it's really quite impressive and amazing that that um, you know you're able to share your experience with us. And based Thank on you. everything that you've just said, it seems like you are an expert at grief, um, <laughs> dealing with, which yes. is, I mean, something we, everyone, I mean, I would aspire to love to be an expert at grief just because it is such a complicated, no. misunderstood. <laughs> no, no, don't. no. <laughs> um, no. that being said, how, how do you define grief? Just something. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what people fail to recognize is that the emotions surrounding a loss show up in lots of different ways, usually over and over and over again. You know, for me, there was a grieving process and like a grief experience, even just surrounding, you know, the fact that I went from having a super healthy, vibrant, productive parent, you know, who was on every field trip and worked and, you know, helped take care of the rest of us to someone who, you know, needed to be in a wheelchair and was regularly hospitalized and had to learn to give herself shots every day. Um, And, you know, then there's a second wave of grief when that parent then gets diagnosed with something that's even worse. And, you know, unfortunately, what the end result of that you know, stage four cancer diagnosis is going to be, then there's the grief that comes right after you lose someone. And what I didn't understand at the time is that like that would continue to show up in different forms, you know, Mm. in the early days, just being super depressed and anxious and, you know, just horrible sadness. And then even, you know, moving to DC and making new friends and meeting new colleagues and, you know, people say things like, Oh, you know, what does your mom do for a living? Or, you know, like innocuous questions like that, that you say when you're getting to know someone and having to explain, you know, over and over again to folks that she doesn't do anything as far as I know, because she's been dead for however many years. And then in the early stages of my relationship with Matt, you know, he is not only incredibly patient and just full of empathy. He also has a childhood best friend who lost both of his parents when he Um, was only in his twenties. So yeah, so it it, it was actually a pretty perfect setup in a lot of ways because, (laughs) you know, he understood that like I could be sad, you know, five, six, seven years after my mom died, even during, and sometimes especially during positive moments, you know, you get the big job and the person who would be most excited isn't there to hear about it. You get engaged and the person who would obsess over every single wedding planning detail isn't there to obsess over those things with you. And as wonderful as Matt is, 
he wasn't going to get excited about, you know, letterpress custom right. invitations or, you know, these napkins that I got a great deal on. Like, right. Yeah. Um, right. He literally had three things he cared about for our wedding. Okay. And I'm just going to, I'm going to run through them real quick just to give you a sense. Please. Of who we are. These are the, these are the three things. One, he wanted a pig, like at some point, you know, like pig roast, like something. Oh, okay. I was like, yeah. a live so- pig? <laughs> like a pet pig? I, that's no, what I was wondering no, too. He's not that weird. He's not that weird. So <laughs> he wanted, he wanted a pig. Um, he really wanted, and this was so interesting to me. He really wanted us to rent like vintage China plates, you know, so we had like mismatched dinner plates for everybody, ooh, which in a rustic farm to table. Oh, yeah. wedding, and actually I was like, ooh, that's good. I don't know. Yeah, that sounds dope. That. And then, and mind you, this was five years ago. He said, no Kanye West on the playlist. He's like, that oh. man is crazy. <laughs> oh my God. Shout out to Matt for being forward thinking and seeing the truth before many of us did. I see you, Matt. He he saw it coming. He saw it coming. So, so yeah, I say all that to say grief. It's a repeated experience, whether you want it to be or not. Oh yeah, Um, And then, you know, when we experienced our pregnancy loss last year, like that obviously brings up all of the dead mom stuff, plus the battle with infertility and, you know, the loss of all of this hope that we had throughout this process. Um, So yeah, I think people often miss the fact that it is like a repeated experience that shows up over and over again in lots of different ways. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's critical to understand that it's, it's, you won't ever really know, right? It'll just kind of always kind of take you by surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think based on recent events, there's just what a crazy year. I mean, talk about everything that's, I mean, I don't know what 2020 is, but it is putting oh. everyone in its place, literally in, in, in our homes forever. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. With COVID, with, you know, the back-to-back of Amon, Brianna, George, like, what do you, do you think America is grooving right now? And and if so, then 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 that kind of relates to us going through um, a grieving process, you know? So yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think the answer is yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I remember, so for me, you know, we, we lost our pregnancy in August. Mm. I unfortunately, in part because of the pregnancy loss and in part because of an underlying condition that I have, I spent the next like several months pretty sick and then transitioned in January to a really intense work moment where I was working on a primary election that was going to take place in mid-March. Mm. Finally starting to physically feel like myself, like finally feeling like I'd processed the worst of, you know, the pregnancy loss emotions and the physical stuff and was so excited for spring of 2020. Like I had so many plans, you know, we were going to Puerto Rico and I hadn't been to Puerto Rico in a long time. And, you know, one of my best friends lives there. I was going to go to Florida and surprise another friend for her birthday. I was just going to like take a lot of chill time. You know, we were going to go to these wineries. There's a farm I wanted to visit. Just all of these things. Like Mm -hmm. I was just going to just have the best time and I was going to be living my best life. Yep. And then there was a global pandemic. Right. Um, and all of a sudden we went from, you know, this, this isn't that bad. We don't need to wear masks. It's just mm-hmm. like the flu 
to, oh no, like this is, this is crisis mode. And for me as a native New Yorker, like seeing that like immediate impact in New York. I mean, you remember when they didn't even have a place to like put all the bodies in there. Like, it was just, it was horrible. Yeah. And that, like, that was like a, a couple weeks there where I realized I was like moody and just kind of irritated. Mm. And I was like, oh shit, I'm grieving. Like I'm grieving mm. the loss of expectations mm-hmm. that I had for my spring. I'm grieving for this like city and state that I love so much that raised me that is dealing with literally the worst of it. I'm also grieving the fact that I can't see my people. Yeah. You know, my grandparents are, you know, knock on wood this month, they turn 97 and 99 respectively. Oh my gosh, amazing. Yes. And I haven't seen them since Christmas. Wow. And even my dad, you know, like, and I was like, oh my God, like this is grief. And then the race stuff. Yeah. Like it's just, it's, it's too much. It is. I mean, that, that leads me right to kind of our next question. I mean, they blend really well together. Me being an Asian American, just seeing all of a sudden, and it's not, it has never been all of a sudden, but, you know, all of a yeah. sudden these, these hate crimes on, on old people and people who people thought were Chinese who weren't even Chinese, all these kind of just horrific hate crimes that were happening internationally, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like middle schoolers getting egged on the way to school, you know, yeah. what do they have to do with a virus? Nothing. Right. Um, so I'm really interested in this question just because of, you know, our experience as minorities. Um, how, can you talk to us about minority grief and, and how is it different from other kinds of grief? Well, honestly, I wouldn't really call it minority grief. I would probably consider it more like grieving for the expectations that you would like to have for mm. people and places. You know, I, I believe black people have done more to secure like what we define as American ideals, you know, liberty and justice for all yeah. freedom, oh, all absolutely. of the good things yeah. yep. than anyone else mm-hmm. because we believe in them. Right. But when you believe in something and you expect something and you never see it realized, like that is grief. Like, mm-hmm. like there is a lot of loss baked into that. And then, you know, when you talk about both, you know, violence and discrimination against Asian Americans during this pandemic crisis, obviously previously as well, but really seeing more of it during the pandemic crisis and then, you know, everything we're seeing now and people are finally paying attention to when it comes to the black community, like that's a whole other layer of grief grief. because you're seeing people, you know, it's, it's not just the America should be this way. Like, this is my country, but I don't get to fully claim it. It's also the layer of, I am seeing people who look like me get killed or harassed or mistreated for no reason. Right. Other than they look different. Right. So like, there's also, you know, fear baked into that. Totally. You know, a lot of like shame and frustration. So, so for me, it's, it's layers. There is the everyday you don't exist in white skin Mm -hmm. and therefore you are denied certain things. Mm -hmm. And then there is the violence. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it really is. I'm like processing it all as you're you're talking about it. It's (laughs) like, it's like overwhelmingly 
great but but yeah i think i think you're absolutely right it is it's 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 just it's pretty ridiculous um to see the truths really come out you know it's just so obvious um and it does does make me very sad but that being said i think that i think there's a lot of people that want to be that are well-intentioned people they want to be good allies but maybe they don't understand our unique Uh, our unique perspectives as minorities how can we what's the best way for our white allies to help us in our grieving process the ones that want to be there the ones that want to support in any way how can they do that so i talked about this a bit on msnbc Mm -hmm. with alicia and then also on cnn and poppy this yes yeah i love her (laughs) they're both they're both so lovely i know i I was Um, great watching it yeah yeah they're they're great um so for me this ties back to obviously my personal experiences with grief and what i've learned you need in order to heal Mm. and like you need rest you need space you need to have time to experience joy And in order for people of color to access any of that, we need white people to help create that space. And so for me, what that looks like is doing tangible things to take things off of the plates of people who are suffering more than you are right now. Like, Mm -hmm. I I believe that white people are grieving, you know, the the white people who want to be allies, who want to be accomplices are grieving right now, too, because some of them, frankly, just didn't realize how bad it was. And now they're seeing it. And that that hurts, you know, like, yeah, it's 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 a lot. And I know that there are some black people who maybe don't have as much empathy for white grief in this moment. I am not in that category. I can't be in that category. I'm married to a white guy. Um, I'm engaged to one. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just, it's different. It's different. Yep. Um, But I think for those white people, they have to recognize that their feelings come second to the need to do the work. And the Mm. way that has shown up practically in my life has been a combination of white people creating professional opportunities for me, you know, doing things like saying, you have stuff to say, I'm going to get you on CNN, Mm. or I'm going to put you on MSNBC, or I'm going to give you the glamour Instagram account with 2 million followers to host a series of conversations on black grief. Wow. Uh, which yeah. obviously those things created more work for me, but it was work that I wanted to be doing. Work begets yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, it has also looked like, you know, folks on my team proactively taking things off of my plate. Mm, you know, that's amazing. There was something I was working on or really supposed to be working on for a client <laughs> and someone else just did it. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I think... I think making sure it's tangible and actionable. Oh, and then another thing, you know, a white colleague heard about these opportunities that were coming up with TV and, you know, Instagram Live, which I'd never even watched (laughs) one of those before. Um, And he used his communications experience to send me things that I would need for my setup. That wow. I didn't even know, you know, I didn't even know these things existed. Right, um, right. It's a whole, it's a whole other world. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I have like a fancy light and yeah. this uh-huh. like giant tripod <laughs> thing. And, you know, he even sent these like green screen thingies that I don't even totally understand. So, you know, just stepping up and finding things. Supporting. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. 
That's the great. way that you talk about grief, it, it feels very layered, almost like peeling an onion, mm-hmm. right? So you've got like the racial grief that's happening in our country. You've got the political grief. You've got the economic grief. You've got pandemic related grief. And then there's just the kind of grief that happens when you're living everyday life. And when you were on MSNBC, you talked about uh, briefly how we are feeling this feeling, but we're not necessarily diagnosing it as grief. And I just wanted to know, like, how do we diagnose grief within ourselves? How do we how do we look at our actions and go, I'm not simply angry or I'm not simply prioritizing this emotion over that one. But actually what I am feeling is grief. Yeah, I think one of the things that I have had to learn to get better at over the years. And thankfully, you know, I've had plenty of therapists <laughs> myself, but I also have a roommate from college who is in the what I like to call like half orphan club as well. Okay. And she happens to be a shrink. So ah, I have her. Ah, yes. That's yes. all that's nice. Yes. yes. So it's like she knows my crazy on multiple levels. And <laughs> she's a professional. And she's also someone who lost her mother. Um. And so through you know, through my relationship with her and also my relationship with other people who've been through really hard things, like you have to sit with the feelings in order to figure out what they actually are. Mm. And that process sucks. Yeah. Who wants to just like sit and feel sad or angry or whatever, and try to thoughtfully sort through like what you're really feeling and why. Right. But honestly, like that's the only way to do it. Like it took me, you know, with the, um, with the George Floyd situation, and I've never watched the video. I think it's trauma porn, and I have no interest in seeing it. I have no need to see it. But when it happened, initially, and this is a classic grief stage, I was like, I mean, not it's fine, but kind of like, okay, well, here we go again. You know, right. not, yeah. like no emotional response, I would say. Like numb. And then, yeah, and then I started to feel kind of like angsty and anxious. And then, you know, fast forward a few hours later, Matt found me like bawling after I got off a conference call, (laughs) just realizing, you know, like there is nothing that we can do to protect ourselves. And like, that's not fair. And it's crazy and terrible. And so woke up the next morning and wrote that piece that's in the Grio now on my iPhone. Wow. Um, Amazing. I was that like angry. Livid. (laughs) yeah wow yeah Yeah. I wrote down the phrase trauma porn because I've never heard that phrase before I've heard of a trauma bond but never trauma porn and I love can you just explain that a little bit more for those for our listeners because I certainly don't know what that is I feel like I feel like if George Floyd were white first of all never would have happened Second right. of all, if it did happen, the video wouldn't be required. Right. Third of all, mm. if it did happen and there was a video, it wouldn't be like the dominant thing in no my way. Instagram feed, right. on Twitter, on Facebook, etc. But we we seem to have this like pornographic type obsession with trauma, particularly when it comes to black bodies. Mm. And it's really sad because, you know, we all know, unfortunately, if not for these videos you wouldn't believe that these things happen. Right. Like you, you would never, you would never believe because it sounds so completely insane Mm -hmm. that a police officer basically like sat on someone's neck 
mm-hmm. for over eight minutes until mm-hmm. they die yeah. with other people there in right. the daytime? Like, what? Like, yeah. that's nuts. And yeah. so the video is out there and it's like over and over and over again. But for people who live in black skin, like that is traumatizing. Like I, I don't need that. I don't need to be exposed to those images. Like I don't need that to believe that this happened, unfortunately. And so I just, I unsubscribe. Like I don't do any of the videos. That's, I think that's a wonderful way to protect yourself. You know, yeah, it's not to, good for you. Like what, like what value is that going to add to my life? Like it's literally only going to add trauma and pain. Like, yeah. no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I remember on Juneteenth, there were a couple of uh, TV specials happening and it would it would be African-American guests and maybe a white host. And the go to question was like, when was you know, when was the first time that you remember being called the N word or feeling racism? And I remember sitting there and thinking, why are we talking about this? Like, why are we reliving these traumatic events? Like, who is this helping? What is whose story is this progressing and i also Mm. worry about our young african-american boys and girls who also see these videos who are watching it time again and too young nowadays if they can have access to cell phones and internet nowadays it's scary yeah let's let's turn this around let's get excited (laughs) let's talk about supportal because it's a badass tool that i think our listeners need to know about can you tell us what supportal is how did you come up? How did you come up with yeah. it? How did you co-found it? All of that good stuff. So, Supportal, you know, just like everything else I do, came from a place of <laughs> grief and loss and pain. Um, but also, you know, the acknowledgement that I was really fortunate. Whenever any of these things have happened in my life, I've always been surrounded by an amazing, amazing community of people. And one of those people is the Supportal co-founder. Jackie Sharnick. She's one of my dearest friends. Jackie is a two-time leukemia survivor. She almost died when she was in high school. Her mother is a two-time breast cancer survivor. And so, you know, we met when we were starting the breast cancer organization, the Pink Agenda. Mm -hmm. Soon after we started that organization, I lost my mom. Mm. And so Jackie, you know, had the opportunity to meet my mom. She was also very much a presence in the immediate aftermath of my mom's death. I was recently reviewing um, some old emails for a grief project and found an email from Jackie after she had edited my mom's obituary. Um, She Mm. also designed the funeral programs for the funeral because I hated all of the options that the church presented. So, you know, that's how how we roll. And so... Jackie and I realized over the years, because, you know, when, like, when all of this happened, I'm barely 25, Jackie's 24. And because she had her cancer experiences and, you know, her experiences with a sick parent at such a young age, same thing for me, we have become the go-to resource for lots of people in our lives, you know, work colleagues, friends, family, et cetera, Mm -hmm. when something bad happens to someone they care about. So like someone you're friends with has a miscarriage or loses a parent, you text me or Jackie because you don't know what to do. Because hopefully at this age, you haven't gone through anything like that yet yourself. Yeah. And no, we, not. yeah, you know, so then like we became this like default resource for people and happy to do it because we believe we have great ideas and we know, you know, what gifts are most relevant generally and how to show up. And we started talking about like 
you know, could we make this more of a thing and leverage this information and put it out there in the world for other people to access, you know, not just our friends and friends of friends. Right. So that's how Supportal was born. Um, and I mean, as you know, from the site, it's a lot of stories yeah. about really difficult, terrible things, yeah. but the stories focus on, you know, what is the thing that someone did that helped when you were struggling so that you can then read that story and apply it to someone else in your life. Wow. Yeah, awesome. I, for sure. I was just going to say, everyone should have a loving Jackie in their life. I know you have yours. Yeah. I have mine. Yeah. <laughs> Jackie's are incredibly yeah. important. Yes. I have like a curveball question, if it's okay you if I ask You guys can ask it. whatever you want. I don't like, I don't, I mean, can you tell? Like, I don't really hold anything back. I'm here yeah. just sitting on the ice pack. Right? Like, I, I love it. Know, I love it. What was it like working for President Obama? Oh. How is Michelle? Like, I'm sure you've never gotten this question asked before. Right. Like, this exactly. is absolutely not a curveball question. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't in the this outline, is, so I feel bad just springing no, it on you. I had to say that. This is, this is like the most common question <laughs> okay. in, in everything that I do. Uh, That's hilarious. Um, so it was, it was a very, very challenging professional environment, mm. uh, because what people don't realize, and, and I think this goes for any white house. I don't think this was unique to the Obama white house, but we do not, we do not resource our government as much as it overspends on some things. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Like we don't resource it appropriately. And there are a lot of things that we wanted to do or tried to do that were just really challenging because you, you don't have the same resources that you would have if the White House were a company that you guys were running. So, so it's, it's hard because for a lot of us, this was our first time in a political administration. Mm. So you're learning the challenges as you are doing the work. Got it. And looking back, a lot of us were relatively young, you know, yeah. in so many ways, he was the young people's president. And yeah. while, you know, obviously we had people like Dennis McDonough and Valerie Jarrett and Susan mm -hmm. Rice and, and all of these amazing super senior folks. There were also a lot of us who were in our late twenties, early thirties, who suddenly had a lot of very real responsibility. So pretty um, green. And it's also an environment. Yeah, it, yeah. And it's an environment where, you know, you don't, because it's not resourced the way like a corporation might be, mm -hmm. you don't have the traditional like training, HR, et cetera, yeah, resources that you would have if you stepped into a completely new job right. in a new industry. You know, like think about what that would look like at Google right. or something, you know, like it, mm -hmm. it was just, it, I mean, it was, it was really hard and it's relentless right. and there's little room for error. I mean, there were nights when I would go to bed at, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock because I like my sleep and I'm the first. <laughs> and I would get up at six and I would have like actively missed over a hundred emails, like wow. just all throughout the night wow. and, and not the casual CC, but people having email conversations about things that were legitimately time sensitive at two o'clock in the morning. Wow. Um, and you, you had to take that seriously and like that sense of urgency seriously and mm. the unexpected nature of the work you know I can remember 
being home in New York for Thanksgiving one year. And Matt had come home with me for Thanksgiving. And our plan was, you know, we had, you know, Thanksgiving on Thursday, like this family thing, that family thing. And then we were going to go into the city and we were going to the Giants Packers game that Sunday. And then, you know, Monday we were going to be back in D.C. So sometime after I went up to New York for Thanksgiving, a meeting got put on the president's calendar with small business owners that I then became the person responsible for organizing. Uh-oh. So like I can remember like, you know, being in the kitchen, trying to make a pie, being on the phone, like trying to get people properly vetted, like through secret wow. service and FBI, like, and it was just, and I, you know, I remember being on a train into the city, like trying to finalize this memo for the leader of the free world before we get to like a football game, you know, because right. I worked really hard to make sure that my work didn't inhibit me from like having a life and yeah. you know, spending time having with people fun. I care about. And yeah, like this was Matt's childhood best friends. And, you know, like it was like, it was a big thing. And it just, I mean, it was, it was like that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And I loved it. Uh, but it was just, I mean, it was just really hard. Like I was like, oh, this is why people don't stay in these jobs for the mm, entire yeah. like four years or eight years because right. you, you can't, you Get just burn burnt out. out. Um, but I learned a lot. Yeah. I was forced to vastly improve my <sighs> personal attention to detail. I bet. Oh, oh I my bet. God. You're, you're, you have to be always on. <laughs> oh my God. And like the pace at which I could write and like spin out memos and things like that. Like there, there are these skills that you acquire there that I don't even think you realize you're acquiring yeah. because it's happening so, so fast. Right. But it right. also means that now when, you know, when someone thinks something is urgent, I can mm. manage their expectations. Like I don't actually know what urgent is. <laughs> when someone thinks something is a priority. It's like, oh, is this like as big of a priority as when we tried to launch the healthcare website and it went down or, you know, the, the couple days before the government shut down and I was working in the white house and like, we were trying to preemptively put together memos that we thought the president might need for however long the government was going to be shut down. You know, like it just, yeah, yeah it's all, all relative. relative. Yep. I took the words out relative. of my mouth. <laughs> and the president is as wonderful as people think he is Mm -hmm. you know he is the person where when I've been fortunate enough to be you know in the room with him in meetings in the Oval Office he literally and I thought in this moment I was going to like melt or die like I'm not really (laughs) sure you know sitting in the old obviously youngest person there one of two women and wow. says, well, Marissa, like, what do you think? Like, is yes. there anything else that you'd like to wow. add? And I'm like, I just remember being like, oh my God, what's the smartest thing I can say right now? <laughs> um, do I even know so, words? Like, yeah. Like, like he's the person who is that thoughtful, you know, wow. like he doesn't need to be thoughtful like that, but he is actually that kind of thoughtful. Mm, right. Goes to show for sure. Lesson wow. for everyone yeah. listening, live thoughtfully. And also thank yeah. you, Marissa, for giving me my favorite new clap back. Urgent. You don't know what urgent is. <laughs> um, any advice to our listeners moving forward? How do we take care of ourselves? How do we yeah. manage our grief? How do we yeah. not let it crush us? 2020 is not over yet. Halfway yeah. there, but yeah. it feels like a, a week is a yeah. month. Right. Well, I mean, first of all, if you really want to 
manage the collective American grief vote in November. Absolutely. Up and down the ballot for candidates who are actually going to put our collective best interests first. Mm, great. Um, I won't, you know, I won't openly endorse any candidates just because I don't want to like get you guys into any trouble. Okay. Okay. Thank is, you. That is one of my recommendations. And if you would like to know who I'm supporting, feel free to follow me on social media. I talk about it all the time. Uh, so that, <laughs> like, that is like your power to vote mm-hmm. is critical. Mm-hmm. It's always critical, but it's especially critical this year. Mm. And I think it's extra important to not just focus on, you know, that top of the ticket candidate, although like I'm praying and hoping um, that people do the right thing with that candidate, but also down ballot races, you know, people who are furious about some of the things that we're seeing when it comes to race and, you know, police violence and who's getting prosecuted and what that looks like and mass incarceration and things like that. That is not controlled by the president of the United States. Right, right, like, right. It's right. just not. As much as there are things that we may want to blame on presidents, that is very local. Like you need to know who your sheriff is mm-hmm. and if they're in an elected position. You need to know who your district attorney is mm-hmm. and if that position is elected, which it often is. Mm-hmm. Like that is the person who decides whether or not to charge police officers with murder. Um, so that is like one big thing that I have to say to everybody. Um, thank you. The other thing is, you know, what people need to heal is always going to be a little bit different, but I think there are some fundamental things that just are important to everybody. You know, you need time, you need space, you need rest, whatever rest looks like to you. And you need to take the time to experience joy. Mm -hmm. So even in the midst of all of this craziness, I've learned how to make a Negroni which is a really delightful cocktail. Yeah, it's I'm delicious. not in person, yeah. but it's so good and it's so perfect for summer weather. Um, okay. yeah, that, like, so, you know, I've done, I've dabbled in some floral arranging. Like mm, I just, I'm therapeutic a few hobbies because we're still stuck at home. It's still a pandemic mm-hmm. and you need to find ways to experience joy. Absolutely. For me, exercise is a big thing yeah. and that is always going to be connected to my healing process. Yeah. So I joined the Peloton cult. Okay. Oh, that's where this I was going. I was not going. expecting that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going we're gonna to end this with a Peloton ad. There you go. Team Peloton all the way. That's awesome. Okay. If ever you get tired of a Negroni, a Tom Collins is also really refreshing during the summertime mm. with fresh squeezed lemon juice. If you're looking to shake up your What's cocktail it? menu, it is fresh squeezed lemon juice Vodka. or lemon simple right, syrup, okay. gin and gin. Uh, simple syrup. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can get behind that. I mean, yeah, it's so it's like a gin lemonade. Exactly. Yeah. Per- exactly. Get a tall yeah. glass of that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, Marissa, okay. how can our listeners keep up with you? How can they follow you? How can they fangirl out over you? All the great <laughs> things that we're doing. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if you really want to fangirl out, but I am fairly active on Instagram as okay. Marissa Renee Lee. You can also find me on Twitter and Facebook, but Instagram is where I spend more of my time just because that's where most of my real life friends are spending most Aww. of their time. Uh, you can also check out my website, marissarenelee.com. That's where we keep all of my writing and media and everything else updated. Mm-hmm. I also love the setup. I'm using it as inspiration to redo my website. So 
thank you for that. Thank you for having a banging website. So yeah. I cannot take credit for that. That is also Sai Yang. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I have size contact information. Okay. It looks like I will be contacting Cy. Marissa, thank you so, so, so much for being here. Uh, I also need to shout out your amazing assistant, Brendan, who was (laughs) the magic wizard behind blinking all of us and making sure that that this happened. Yeah. He's pretty great. Yeah. He was was assisting us. That is for (laughs) sure, too. (laughs) For sure. For sure. And shout out to your husband, Matt, who is more forward thinking than any of us seem to be. Yeah. Um, Oh, man. Thank you so much, guys. That is the end of our show. We are the Black and Yellow Podcast. If you want to find us on Instagram, we are Black and Yellow Podcast. You can also email us if you've got any feedback on this episode. Podcast at blackandyellow at gmail.com. I am Alana Webster at Renegade of Fun on the gram. My name is Jacqueline Chung Young on the gram. And thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll hear from you next time. Thank you so much. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye.